As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Aging Boomers. I'm your host, Frank Sampson, where we discuss so many of the issues facing boomers, their parents, and what, of course, we know is an aging population. And we got just a couple great guests today. And uh, before I introduce them, I just wanted to remind everybody that today's show is sponsored by ElderCareResourcesUSA.com. Information for an aging world. Enjoy informative articles, watch videos, download helpful guides, and learn from nationally recognized experts and connect with key local providers. You can do so by going to eldercareresourcesusa.com. If you happen to be out on the West Coast, uh, you could go to the local sites uh, at eldercareresourcesbayarea.com, eldercareresourcessacramento.com and eldercareresourceslosangeles.com. Get some uh, great information from some local providers on that site. One of them actually, or two of them, is our is our guest uh, on, the, on that site. And uh, we have with us uh, Carolyn Rosenblatt, who is a registered nurse with 10 years of nursing and 27 years of experience as a practicing attorney. She has extensive hands-on experience in elder care, aging parents, and working with caregivers. She has worked in hospitals and visited patients at home as a public health nurse. Her law practice involved litigation and trials. She is familiar with insurance, financial, and elder law issues. She is an experienced media, uh, mediator helping resolve family conflicts since 2006. She blogs for Forbes.com weekly at Aging Parents. Her business is AgingParents.com, located in San Rafael, California. And her uh, partner in business and uh, for the past 32 years, personally, happy anniversary. Uh, Thank doc you. <laughs> Dr. McCall Davis is a clinical psychologist with over 38 years as a mental health provider. He has worked with many families as an, an ex and is an expert in aging issues. He is the co-founder of AgingParents.com, which serves caregivers, elders, and their families with age-related issues. He is also an experienced mediator of many kinds of family disputes and often works with Carolyn 
to resolve them. He does testing for dementia and helps families plan how to address dementia-related issues. McCall and Carolyn, just great having you on the show, and thanks for taking the time on your uh, on your anniversary to join us. Well, thank you for having us, Frank. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, great. we're glad to be here. So, you know, this is a big issue, and as you know, I'm in, I'm in the business and many times are confronted with... Uh, uh, with siblings that uh, end up arguments with each other, uh, lots of family conflicts as it relates to decision-making regarding parents and their care, etc. It's a, always a difficult situation. So I commend you for the work that you've done. Uh, what, what would you say are the, is the main cause of these family feuds or fights regarding uh, parents? Well, Frank, I think it comes down to two things. It's either uh, the conflict is around money or the conflict is really about determining the extent of care uh, for the aging loved ones. And that seems to be the, the two primary areas that we see the greatest frequency of conflict. So... So what, what do you so what do you do? I mean, uh, what's your procedure? Do you kind of get a conference call going with the family members and say, "Hey, wake up!" Or <laughs> what do you do when that is occurring and it's having such an effect on their parents? Well, the first thing is is that to really understand the nature of the conflict, um, often it involves interviewing different family members and finding out that generally what's driving the conflict is frequently something that has been going on for years and years. So the conflict is generally not fresh. It's something that has been harbored as a part of the whole family structure, whether it's the oldest sibling, adult child, deciding that they're going to decide how things are going to go down, or it's the one that's got... Um, uh, more influence over the parent. Um, there are lots of, uh, often it's the adult child that lives closest uh, to the parents that feels that they're more involved and more knowledgeable about the extent of what, uh, what, what their aging loved one needs. So the first step is really understand the politics around the conflict and to be sensitive to the fact that generally what you're doing is you're, you're wading into a situation that it has been going on for years and years in terms of the underlying feud between siblings or between conflicts between adult children and their parents. So, you know, so that you can be effective, the first thing is to really understand the nature of what we're dealing with, which is often historically driven. Once you do that, and, and we're able to do that fairly quickly, primarily, I think, because just the the, the thousands of families that we've served, we, we know how to kind of cut to the chase. And once we find out what the underlying conflict is, then, then we start focusing on seeing if we can help the, the various members make some agreements about kind of the rules of the road of going forward. And often one of those rules is that uh, the focus is really on making decisions about mom and dad, mom or dad, and it's really not about the past. So, uh, a good agreement is let's let's focus on the present right now and and not need to rehash a history lesson of 
what you did when I was 13. So as soon as we can begin to establish some resemblance of rules, that's an excellent start. From there, the, you know, what we're really shooting for is to determine what realistically is going to be accomplished within the scope of our kind of mediating or having a family meeting. And, and that's uh, what the third step is, is to kind of look at realistic expectations of either what the individual family members need or, as outsiders, providing some direction on things that we see that are eminent that need to be addressed. And generally, the kinds of conflicts um, people are dealing with, sometimes just the most immediate problems, and often are very much unwilling to look at the, the scope of really what we're dealing with when, uh, for example, an aging loved one starts to lose their sense of independence and decisions need to be made. Now, we're, we're, the issues we're talking about are mainly when the parent cognitively may be having challenges. So, Because if that parent has it pretty much together, are, are you still sometimes getting families together, or usually you're just dealing with that parent to make their own decision? I think that decision-making independence is also a big issue. I think that most adult children want to honor their parents' independence, and most parents definitely don't want to lose control of their lives, and they see giving up any form of their independence as a step toward losing control, which is quite terrifying for most people. So there is conflict just over decision-making, even if the parent is competent. Maybe they are physically infirm or getting that way, and the adult children want them to have help at home, for instance. I'm sure you run into that, Frank. Right. And they don't want it. They don't want it. They really need it. Everybody else thinks they need it. They don't think they need it. So there are arguments about that. And, you know, we have that issue in our own lives right now with Nicole's mom, who just turned 92. Wow. She lives Great. by herself. She mm -hmm. still drives. She lives hundreds of miles away from us very independent, very stubborn, and it's time for her to get some help at home. She's having trouble walking. Her mind is sharper than yours and mine, yeah. but it's really well, it's about not, her It's not saying self. much about so, me, really. I mean, I, it doesn't take much to be sharper than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people her age have signs of cognitive impairments pick up memory right. loss, not Alice. Right, so, right. you know, it's it's a bit of a struggle to try to get her to even accept um, using a wheelchair when we're going to be walking for a long ways because she just can't do it. And it's we're at the point now where she's trying out. She's on vacation, too, in a different place. She's trying out a caregiver a few days or a few hours a day when she has no family member there with her. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed because what we intend to do is persuade her that, yeah, it worked while you were on vacation and you need to do that at home. And we'll probably get resistance, but I think she's at the point where she may relent. Some parents do not. They just don't, and this fight goes on until there's a crisis. And that's, so, I think, very much a universal because people are fighting to maintain their independence and accepting that they need help means that, you know, they're one step in the grave and they just don't want to accept that. Uh, and I think it's a real struggle for the adult child 
to be able to deal with that level of stubbornness when uh, you know that, that your aging loved one is basically making decisions where they're going to be at increased risk of fall or some kind of uh, danger. But uh, unfortunately, uh, stubbornness uh, continually gets in the way as, as it has with my 92-year-old mom. But we've got some different angles and pitches that we've been trying, and some seem to be pretty effective. And I think the one that is universally effective is the one when we talk about, you know, this is not for you, Mom, it's for us. It's really for our peace of mind. It's for our ability to sleep at night and know that there's someone there, you know, looking after you, and, you know, we're not going to find you dead on the floor someday. Um, We couldn't handle that. So sometimes the pitch towards, uh, you know, do it for me, Mom, seems to be pretty effective. Yeah. So have you found that uh, family members, brothers, sisters are open to the type of mediation that you do, or do you find pushback? Well, it's mixed. And often the people that are contacting us, Frank, directly are the ones that obviously are very open, and there's always the whole back in the family. And so, um, you know, often what we wind up doing is providing a lot of information and somewhat coaching of the family members that do want to come to the table, so to speak, how to deal with the one member or two members of the family that uh, are dragging their feet and and don't want to be involved. Um, So that's really effective because... You know, often what we'll do is we'll, we'll have people who will come to us and say, you know, unless we can get everybody involved, it doesn't seem like it's going to be effective. And, and, and sometimes it's a situation where it's clear that the family's just got to identify that there's going to be primary decision makers. The decisions have got to be made. If certain family members just want to drag their heels and not participate, that's their choice, but they can be provided the information of, what the decisions are going to be made and how it's going to impact them going forward. Um, and that seems to be an effective way. So I, I, I'm sure that uh, there's cases like this that uh, you've got family that might, you know, the brothers, sisters might be disagreeing on the direction that's being taken and one of them has power of attorney or durable power of attorney and they go, well, I don't care what you think. I've got power of attorney, and this is the way we're doing it. I mean, do you have those types of situations, or does that get... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The legal document gives a person's full authority. If they've got power of attorney and it's unlimited, they can do whatever they want. But one of the things I try to help people understand is that you may have legal authority, but if you do not want to crash your sibling relationships for the rest of your lives, it might be a good idea to include other people in the decision-making process to at least invite them to offer an opinion, whether you agree with it or not, and and see if you can respectfully allow them to weigh in because it's their parent too. That works sometimes with people who are emotionally mature enough to do it. But as Nicole said, these conflicts often emerge appearing to be about the care of mom or dad, appearing to be about the money, appearing to be about who's doing more work than someone else. But they're really about historic conflicts that go back much farther. And they act them out um, in the guise of it being about the problem of the moment. What we try to do is make sure that we encourage people to reach agreements. 
this is not therapy when we're doing family mediations. We're not going to fix all those old wounds. And we encourage them to just stay in the present. What we can do right now is focus on making life better for mom at this moment, for the next month, until the end of her life, whatever it is. And if we can keep them focused on that and try to be respectful and open, that helps. Another thing that helps is when it comes to the money, I've encouraged and had to inform a lot of people with power of attorney, you've got an obligation to let everybody know how the money's being spent. You know, okay, you're spending it on the caregivers or you're spending it on whatever you need for your parent, but keep records, be transparent, share that with everybody, email it to them, let them all have access to the records so that you don't make people suspicious because that quality of being suspicious about money is quite common. Yeah, yeah, one of the unique things that Carolyn and I have been recently seeing much more prevalent is dealing with families that are in conflict about mom or dad, and one of the adult children truly has a mental disease. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're, they're having problems with their own mental competence and functioning, and often it's been going on for quite some time, and the family at large just is clueless on what to do and how to manage them. That's a tough one. <laughs> it's all it's all tough. So, you know, you br- you bring Carolyn. You brought up money, and McCole brought it up earlier. And I guess that's an area that just really, I, I guess, g- gets me upset <laughs> uh, when when I'm working with families. So, how do you deal with the situation where you have, let's say, one of the uh, uh, adult children who kind of knows that either that money is going to go to mom or dad's care, but if you spend too much, then they're going to see less when it's time for mom or dad, you know, for the end of their life. And they're not wanting to spend the way it probably should be spent because of that reason. I mean, that that, that kind of gets me upset, and I'm you must see that time and time again, unfortunately. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's it's very problematic. There's a certain greed factor. You know, what it boils down to very bluntly is if you spend money taking care of mom or dad and paying caregivers or paying for assisted living or paying for whatever it is they need, I'm not going to inherit what's mine, that greed. And it's really very distressing to see it. What we do to address that is to remind them that the parent does not owe them an inheritance and that the inheritance they're expecting is not theirs until the parent is gone, and it is not appropriate or fair, and in fact it might even be abusive, to withhold what the parent needs so that it can be saved to give to the kids. And the ironic twist in this is that the aging parent often has no concept of how expensive it's going to be to pay for long-term care in whatever form it takes. They're not prepared. They didn't plan on it. They didn't think they'd live this long. They didn't know how much it was going to cost. People are living longer and longer and longer. It's great, except they get infirm and nobody has any idea how they're going to cover the cost. So we just try to straighten them out on what the priorities are. We're very respectful in the way that we do that, but, you know, it is really the parents' money, and we do remind them of that, and that they don't have a right to it 
and that the parent definitely has a right to be properly cared for as they become less able to care for themselves. You mean so, the government's not just going to take care of mom or dad? <laughs> government government ignores the long-term care problem, unfortunately. This yeah. is the worst Congress ever, and we just don't have the will, the political will, to do any sort of funding that's needed to even help people get along a little better than they're doing now. You mean so, a Medicare bed for in a nursing home wouldn't be so bad for mom? That's nice. That's the kind of thing that we get with people right. that are just clueless about you know, what the decision-making power that they have and what the impact is going to be on the quality of life for the remaining years for their parents. They're just very much in denial. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just address one thing you mentioned. You mentioned Medicare bed. Medicare doesn't pay for long-term care. That's right. Medicaid will, but the worst places are the ones that take long-term Medicaid. And Nicole and I are working on a case right now trying to help the adult daughter who's only 25 get her mother out of a nursing home that I would say has not been kind to her, okay? There, there are some people trying, but it's been really awful, and she's essentially been imprisoned there, but she doesn't have very much money. So fortunately, Frank, you were kind enough to refer me to someone who could help her transition and look for a low-cost boarding care situation in her community where she wants to stay. But that issue about money has really held her back and forced her to stay in a nursing home where she did not want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's been a real struggle. It's tragic when you see how someone has to live. This woman is in her 60s. She had a stroke, but she's yeah. going to be around for a long time, right. probably. But she's and, been stuck there and, three years, right? Yeah, it's just heartbreaking, you know. She had a massive stroke. She recovered substantially, couldn't get out because she didn't have the money. That's really what it got down to. So, you know, with some with the daughter working full-time now and able to contribute something, uh, we'll be able to get her out. But, you know, having someone at the ready, as you've been able to provide for us, to at least help the daughter look for an appropriate, low-cost place that isn't a nursing home, that's what she needed. That's the challenge, and that's what's going on. I mean, the the fortunate thing on, in the state we live here in California, uh, there's a lot of options out there. So it's just making people aware of those options. I'm glad that was able to work out. Um, right. So for those listening that are in a situation like we're talking about, you know, you know they need start thinking about what's going to happen with mom and dad. You might have a brother and sister that don't talk to one another, and they're already envisioning problems, all right? What do you recommend to them? Um, and if they were to contact <clears throat> contact an organization like yours, what could they expect? One of the first things we really plead with people to do, urge them to do, encourage them to do, is to have a family meeting and to start making some plans. If you've got a parent with any kind of physical difficulty, especially if you have a parent who seems to be showing signs of memory loss, which always is the lead-in to dementia, and memory loss doesn't necessarily mean you're going to develop dementia, but it is the first symptom of dementia if somebody is going to get it. And it's a, it's a, a caregiving burden, to put it bluntly. It's a caregiving burden when someone has dementia, they are going to lose independence. So families need to take uh, the time and get past their 
internal turmoil and start thinking about how they're going to care for this person, this parent who needs help and is going to need more help over time, and then figure out how they're going to pay for it. Is everyone going to pitch in? Is the family home going to be sold to pay for care? Are they going to liquidate whatever assets the parent has? Do they have a choice? Can they keep the parent out of a nursing home? Is there a way to manage enough combinations of help with family members or caregivers who are paid to supplement that to enable the parent to stay at home? They have to look at those questions, and that's what we help them do. And we give them the facts. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here are the options. Here are the choices you might have if you want to keep dad at home. Here are the places, the kinds of places mom could go to if she can afford that. Um, We refer them to other people, like, say, a tax attorney, if they're thinking of selling the family home, which has tax consequences. And we also look very closely at the two things that a lot of families don't have that they really need, and that is a durable power of attorney for finances and an advanced health care directive. And a lot of people are of the mistaken belief that you have to have a lawyer to get those and the mom doesn't want to pay so we didn't do it or for whatever reason they never got it done. They're free. You can download a durable power of attorney on the Internet. Yes, you need to read about it. And if you have questions, you certainly can get legal advice from me or any other lawyer who can talk to you about it. But it's an essential document because when the parent loses competency, someone's got to be in charge or you're going to end up in court having the judge impose a conservatorship or a guardianship, which is expensive, nasty, time-consuming, and not necessary. Mm-hmm. The other, the health care directive should be signed by the parent. It can be gotten free from any doctor that have them on the Internet as well. And going through the questions about what the person wants saves a lot of family conflict. But, of course, the parent has to be competent to sign these things, and it's really important that families do this before the parent loses competency because you don't know when that's going to be. Exactly. I know that... So the real uh, message is really if they're not going to be, you know, if you're not going to step up and be proactive and deal with something that most of us don't want to deal with, then the options that are going to be available that are going to be forced upon you are going to be few and far between. Right. We we did a show um, just last week, so uh, anybody wants to learn a little bit more, I mean, certainly you could contact uh, uh, Carolyn and McColl, but uh, we did a whole show just on power of attorney and, and why it's so important. We did it with an, uh, with an attorney, so uh, uh, you could check that out as well. Um, but uh, I, I think those are just great points. So, you know, with the, you know, we just have about a minute or so left, but uh, what what can you leave our listeners with? Any uh, recommendation? What works? What doesn't work? I mean, any, uh, any words of advice? Sure. I think the first thing is, you know, there's one leader in the family usually, and that person might suggest a family meeting. If people don't get along, you can do the meeting by, by telephone, You can also communicate by email, but the point is to communicate, and if you struggle with your other family members and don't get along, you know it's going to be difficult, get some help. Reach out. There are advisors, social workers, counselors, people like us who bring several professions to the table to help you. 
The investment is small compared with the benefit, and the burden is horrible if you don't do it, and it can get expensive financially if you end up hiring lawyers and getting into combat. So we advise people to prevent that by using common sense and being proactive. Great. And and how would someone get a hold of uh, either of you? How would they go about doing that? Our website is www.agingparents.com, www.agingparents.com. And our uh, email addresses is clrosenblatt at gmail.com or drmikol at gmail.com. And either of those email addresses are available. Uh, we're more than happy to respond to you. If you go on our website, agingparents.com, you can get a free 15-minute consultation, and you can sign up for that automatically and even pick a time on our calendar automatically so there's no um, barrier there. Also, we have a toll-free number for those out of the area, and that number is 866-962-4464. That's 866-962-4464. Great. McCall, Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. Happy anniversary. and uh, Thanks, Frank. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll have you on again. There's always so much to thank talk about. Thank you very about. much. Yeah, thank you. We and thank, thank you all uh, mm-hmm. for listening. Thanks for all your support. Uh, you can certainly go to iTunes and, and subscribe to the Aging Boomers. You could go to our website at agingboomers.com. Also, new, uh, we just uh, found out we're going to be on iHeartRadio as well. So a lot, lot of different options. You could download the app, Aging Boomers app, on your iPhone or Android phone as well and listen to all the shows. So thanks so much for joining us. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you all soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.